0: section 30 of the story of japan this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the story of japan by robert van bergen japan in perry's time we must now look at japan as it was when commodore perry was on his way to tell its government you can no longer refuse the hand of friendship we are holding out to you it is absurd to suppose that because of a mere whim our ships will avoid your shores we do not propose to take any advantage of you but we ask you to sell us what we need and you can if you wish buy from us what you may need at any rate we do not propose to stay away from your country simply because you would like us to perry as we have seen was the right man to carry this message for two hundred and fifty years the descendants of ieyasu had ruled over japan During all this time there had been peace at home and abroad, owing to the strict laws, the perfect system of spying, and the exclusion of foreigners. The people worked hard and made a living, but as they could not sell in the markets abroad, they received very little pay. There was, however, no poverty, that is, suffering from want, nor was there any great wealth. If the people had enough rice, vegetables, fish, and clothing to cover themselves, what more did they require? Thus the great masses of the people were contented and happy, but how about the samurai? For some two hundred and fifty years their swords had been sheathed. They had busied themselves with the affairs of their clans, but that did not occupy all their time. To be sure, they could pay and receive calls from their friends, and show their intimate knowledge of the ceremonies inseparable from a tea-party. They knew exactly the deference due to a person, and the number of compliments he was entitled to. But even the acquisition of this knowledge left them considerable leisure and they spent it in reading the samurai from the time of nobunaga who as we have seen made war upon the ambitious monks held buddhism in contempt they turned to the study of the pure shinto religion which regards the tenno as divine and worships the ancestors as gods but when they began to study the history of their country when they understood that this regent in Yido, before whom they were compelled to bow was only a usurper and that the tenno and the tenno only was the lawful ruler of japan they looked around for means to deny the authority of the regent a very large number of the samurai read with absorbing attention the history of japan completed under the second daimyo of mido who was a descendant of ieyasu and another history written by rai Sanyo wherein it was shown that the loyalty of the samurai was due to the tenno was also extensively studied the reading of these books made them all the more impatient of the tokugawa rule are we less brave and less stout than our fathers they would ask why must our swords remain sheathed who is responsible for these long years of contemptible peace why can we not subdue korea which by law of conquest belongs to japan there was deep dissatisfaction among the samurai and while they were not able to express all they felt, of one thing they were very sure, that they no longer wanted the descendants of Ieyasu to rule over them. The great daimyo of the south, those of Satsuma, Choshu, and Tosa, were especially hostile to the regent. The trade with Holland, which was very profitable, was for the benefit of the Yido government. Through the Hollanders, the regent could know what was passing abroad he could order the latest guns and cannon, and thereby acquire the means to keep the daimyo in submission. All these daimyo encouraged, therefore, the reading of these books, and urged their men to arouse the Yamado Damashii, that is, the spirit of old Japan, among the people. But the regent in Yido could afford to laugh at all this discontent so long as the daimyo remained divided among themselves. Even if the most powerful among them should dare deny his authority, eighty thousand of his own samurai were prepared to punish a rebel and besides the loyal daimyo descendants of ieyasu or of his generals were ready to take up arms in his defence there was only the fear that the disaffected daimyo might unite that they might march upon kyoto and obtain the sacred person of the emperor then and then only would there be an end to the tokugawa rule kyoto was the key to the situation but there was a strong garrison composed of the samurai of the most loyal clan guarding the palace and the admittance to Kyoto was strictly prohibited to any of the southern daimyo so long as the emperor remained in the power of the tokugawa all was well the court nobles who and what were they paupers glad enough to be fed from the crumbs of the regent's bounty but how about the regent himself was he the same able self-reliant man that ieyasu the founder of the house had been no the tokugawa had gone the way of all the rulers of japan seven regents had succeeded from the direct line and then successors had been adopted for a long time the descendants of Ieyasu had been shadow regents puppets in the hands of ambitious prime ministers who trusted to their spies to maintain their power dissatisfaction existed everywhere but while the great majority of samurai would have been well pleased to see the authority restored to the emperor, the ablest among them desired to be his personal advisers. In other words, they wished for themselves the power held by the Tokugawa. Satsuma thought that it would be better for Japan if he should be regent. The other great daimyo had probably the same idea regarding themselves, and their kairai or counselors, thought how much better it would be if they could direct the affairs but neither daimyo nor samurai had any idea of personal gain. They honestly believed they were right, and they would have been pleased to accept this power without any salary, except just enough to secure the absolute necessities of life for themselves and their families. It was sure to go hard with the government of Edo when the opportunity for action came. Hundreds of samurai were ready to sever the connection with their clan and turn ronin if they could thereby assist in overturning the Tokugawa what cared they if harakiri must inevitably follow they were prepared for it were not the graves of the forty-seven free lances kept green in the memory of the people and would not they also be celebrated in song and story what greater desire could a true samurai have than to die in the service of his clan and his lord many of the samurai were not so ignorant as they seemed Some of them had studied Dutch, and although all the books on board a Dutch vessel arriving at Nagasaki were supposed to be stored in chests and kept under lock and key in possession of the regent's officers, to be returned only when the ship was ready to sail, this did not prevent the inquisitive and studious Japanese from obtaining possession of some of them. And these barbarian vessels that were coming so repeatedly, notwithstanding the regent's prohibition, would they insist upon breaking the laws of Japan? was it not true that the king of holland had sent a letter advising the regent to enter into a treaty with these hairy bearded strangers and was it not true also that these same barbarians had dared invade the soil of china and compelled that great empire to grant their demands would they also dare come with an armed force to sacred japan the country of the gods and profane the land destined for the japanese or would the tokugawa at jiro repeat the disgrace inflicted upon japan by the cowardly ashikaga these were the questions that agitated the samurai those four hundred thousand men who had been and were then at once the head and the arms of the country who ruled as well as defended it they were thinking and watching they felt instinctively that the time for action was drawing nigh and all of them were sure that the samurai of japan would be able when the time came to give a lesson to the barbarians they wished to have their coast defences strengthened and requested the yido government to attend to this no notice was taken of this request the councillors of the regent troubled about affairs at home hoped and trusted that foreign powers would continue to respect their absolute refusal to enter into intercourse with them every foreign vessel entering the japanese waters was received by officers who were naturally tokugawa men that is, men belonging to the clan of the regent, and while many of them were in favour of more liberal measures, they were loyal to those who stood at the head of their clan, and were prepared to carry out their orders. Captains of such foreign vessels could not judge, therefore, of the actual feeling prevailing among the Japanese, since these men represented only the Tokugawa clan. When at last compulsion made the regent grant the demands of the self-invited guests, the Tokugawa samurai were fully satisfied but not so those of other clans they could not and did not deny that since a tokugawa regent had taken it upon himself to exclude foreigners another regent of the same house could rescind or abolish this law by his own authority what they did object to was the manner in which permission to trade with and to reside in japan had been obtained that a regent of japan should have submitted to demands from foreigners without striking a blow had he granted the requests of petitioners, and had he opened such ports as would have given to every daimyo the opportunity to profit by this intercourse, the Tokugawa regents might have secured another lease of government. But the government of Yido thought that they would be able to isolate these newcomers, as they had the Dutch, and so opened only such ports as belonged to the Tokugawa. This caused the hatred both against the yedo government and the foreigners and the many murders of innocent men by self-appointed avengers end of section 30